Um, again, if I'm an unfamiliar face, you don't know a lot about me. Um, I'm the youth pastor here at the church, and so I'm involved with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, and my wife, uh, she helps me a lot. We've been married for over four years. Um, I'm blessed because there's a lot of just amazing youth helpers who come alongside me and help me minister to the youth, and for that, I'm very grateful. And so if um, you want to, during second and third service, just, um, you know, the other weeks, come upstairs, say hi, uh, check out the ministry that's going on upstairs. Um, sometimes I'm sure you can hear it down here, you know, during worship, but um, come upstairs and uh, say hello. I'd like to get to know you. Perfect. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Um, I want to start out by uh, just sharing a, a story of a time where uh, I carried something extremely heavy. It was, it was very heavy. And this um, this very heavy thing was a piano that Travis, Travis was the one who led worship, uh, he wanted in his uh, apartment on the second story. And so it was a while ago, it was like four years ago, and he texted me and a couple other people at the church, and he wanted this piano moved. And it was a massive piano, like it was huge. And so we got it loaded up into the truck, and we got to his apartment, and it was like four, it was literally four of us. And somehow we just like went right for it. Like we, we had the piano on these like um, handle type things that you can rent. And um, it's, it looks like like two dollies on either side of the piano, but then they have like handles. And so you can carry around a piano like the Ark of the Covenant, I'm not kidding you. And so we, we, we arrive, right? We gotta get it up the stairs. And we, we didn't even think it through. We just went for it, right? And so we started carrying this piano up the stairs and this thing was heavy. Like, it was super heavy. And we get halfway, and you get to that point where you realize, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't think we're going to make it. You know, like, it's so heavy. And somehow we didn't think it through, but, like, Travis, you were, like, the only one on the top. And I don't know, we didn't get enough help for you up there, and we couldn't, like, squeeze and go around the piano. And so it was, like, three of us, like, literally, like, setting the piano on our knees, and then Travis has it on the top of the stairs. And it was just that moment where it was, like, set it down. Just set it down. Set it down. And we're, like, like looking around like and we had that moment where it was like do we go down the stairs again and I think that's our only option right now and we just looked at each other and it was it was just silent it was just silent and finally Travis I will never forget this Travis I will never forget it man he just like nah we're going to dig deep. And he took it and literally just, brah, like I've never, like every vein in his neck was popping out. But literally, we just got that piano upstairs. And I will never forget that story with him. And so today we get to read in our scripture about four men who carried something that was very heavy as well. And they were carrying a, a man, a paralytic man. And they carried him for a long ways. They carried him for a long time. And even they ran into obstacles. So I'd like to read the story to you. It's in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. It says, And again he, that's Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, 
Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their heart. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So the story starts with Jesus teaching the word of God inside of a house. And as you can imagine, many people wanted to come and listen to his words. And the house that he was teaching at became very crowded. Meanwhile, there were four men carrying a paralytic man, intending to lay him at the feet of Jesus and hoping that he would be healed. When they get to the door, it's overcrowded with people. But instead of giving up, they decide to go on the roof, make an opening, and lower their friend down to Jesus to be healed. Once Jesus sees their faith, he responds by forgiving this man of his sins. Now, when the scribes heard this statement, they began to reason in their heart. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because a claim to have the power to forgive someone of their sins is a direct claim to be God himself. Now, the scribes aren't buying the reality that Jesus is God and has the power to forgive sins, so they come up with their own reason. He's just faking it. I mean, it's not that hard just to say that someone's sins are forgiven. This conversation took place in their head, but then Jesus knew their thoughts. And now he takes a paralytic man who he had just forgiven of his sins, and he heals him in order to show that he does have the power to forgive sins. Jesus healed this man, telling him to pick up his bed and walk. And Jesus did this to show the scribes, as well as everyone in the room, as well as everyone who reads this scripture, that Jesus does have power to forgive sins. I want to go through these scriptures again, and I want to point out some more stuff. So let's read the first two verses again. It says in verse 1, And again he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. So Jesus has come to the house. And the house is believed, but not for certain, to be the house of Peter. Now, Peter is one who actually came alongside Mark in writing this gospel. And some scholars even call this gospel, they nickname it, the gospel according to Peter. Now, this is Peter's house, and Mark uses the word immediately. It's his favorite word to use in the book of Mark. And he uses it to describe the way that people literally rushed into the house where Jesus was at. Now, I tease my family all the time because my dad and my mom, uh, they say, man, people are just pouring in. That's what they say. Or if they're trying to turn left and there's a lot of cars that are like, man, what is this, a parade, right? That's what they say. And I catch myself saying it all the time. Man, people are just pouring in. People were just pouring into this house. And this house became crowded very fast. And there wasn't even room near the door. Not just at the door, but near the door. Now, let's go ahead and read verse 3 through 4. It says, 
Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So you have this house, Peter's house. People are just pouring in. And then now the scene shifts to outside of the house. And this is where the subtitles come on and go, meanwhile, outside of the house. And that shows these, these five men, the five guys, right? And they're carrying, four of them, they're carrying a paralytic. Now the paralytic, he couldn't walk. He couldn't stand. He's just called the paralytic. His name isn't even mentioned. Now this paralyzed man, he's paralyzed, but he has four really, really amazing and good friends. And we have like 650 Facebook friends, like we do. But this paralyzed man, he had four just really good, solid friends. And let me tell you why these friends were the greatest friends a man could have. Because these four men, they took the time, the energy, the willpower to bring their paralyzed friend to the house where Jesus was at. And they had to have been tough. They had to have been so persistent. I mean, they knew that they needed to bring their friend to the feet of Jesus, and they weren't going to stop at anything, and they were tough. I mean, I don't think these were the type of guys to, like, like these, they drank their coffee black. Like, they didn't roll up with a pumpkin spice latte, right? These guys were tough. And you got to think about it, because Jesus shows up to this house in a short notice. It really is. And people flood the house really quickly. And so short notice means that maybe you had stuff planned for the day. You had responsibilities. You had chores. You had work. You had somewhere to be. And for one of them or all four of them, we don't know exactly how this worked, to wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to drop everything that I'm doing today. And I'm going to take my paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. That's a lot. He could have said, I'll just go myself, beat the crowd. He could have said, okay, like I'll get my wife, maybe my kids. But no, he said, I'm going to bring my paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. And then he would have had to get three other people, three other friends together to drop everything they had planned in their day to help him out. I mean, it's a miracle just getting four people together. It really is. I mean, think about that. Getting four of your friends together at the same Starbucks. Like, it's a miracle. We did it one time with my siblings and my wife. And we did it one time this year. It's hard. It took a Facebook event. took a Google event. It took one of those, like, Batman signals up in the sky. And they didn't have technology. And so one of them would have had to go to the other one's house say, hey, Jesus is in the house. Let's, let's go bring our paralyzed friend to him. Okay, okay, okay. And then he goes. And then they go to the third guy's house. And then they go to the fourth guy's house. And, and so they get their four people together, right? And already time is passing. And people are just flooding into this house. They don't know if they're even going to be able to make it in. And then they would have had to go up to the paralyzed man. And they would have, I believe they would have had to convince him to leave his house. Because the thing about being paralyzed back in the day of Jesus is that People, people associated your physical disability with the fact that you weren't, well, loved by God. They associated that, mainly the Pharisees and the scribes. And so people kind of had this, like, 
label that they would put on the people who were paralyzed or the people who were lame or sick or had leprosy, and they put this label on them. And the label was, God didn't love you, and it's obvious. Now, the people who were healthy and fit and physically well, those are obviously the people that the Lord loves more. And so for this paralyzed man, it would have been you know, kind of shameful to leave his house. It would have been shameful to be carried around on a bed, nonetheless. You know, maybe people don't say it, but they're thinking it. And so to make a bed for this man, hey, like, we're going to take you to the feet of Jesus. We know, we know the house of, of where he's at. And we're going to lay you at his feet. And just maybe you're going to be healed. These guys were tough and they were persistent. And they knew what they needed to do. And I'm telling you, they were the best they were the four best friends a man could have. And they did. They carried this man four handles. I don't know if they took turns. I don't know exactly how this looked. But they used everything that they had. They made this bed. And they took this man to the feet of Jesus. And I just, I just want to challenge you, you know. Like, we got 650 Facebook friends. We got a ton of them. But can you just be, like, a fourth? One fourth of what this guy had? A friend who's willing to drop everything in the day? Somebody who's willing to do anything to bring your friend, bring your family member to the feet of Jesus. That might or might not work. Where you might or might not get a thank you. Daily. Sacrificing. When nobody else really even sees it. I think we can just be a fourth of what this guy had, you know. Just one of those friends. Carrying him on this mat to where Jesus is. And so they did. They they carried him for a long time, and they carried him for a long ways. And I imagine them carrying it. And, you know, it was all worth it when they got there, right? Like the fear of there being a crowd was just all in their head, right? Like the, the, the thought of it just not working out, it's all mental, right? No. I mean, they're carrying it, and I just imagine they turn the corner, or they come up on a hill, and they're looking, and they just like, oh, set it down, set it down, set them down, just set them down. And you have that moment where it's like, what do we do? It says that they could not come near him because of the crowd. And imagine the disappointment. Like, you got up early. You left work. You used all your resources. It's taken hours. And your muscles are tired. And now with sore muscles and all, you find out that a crowd, a crowd is preventing you from carrying this man to a miracle. And it's not supposed to work this way. Like, there wasn't supposed to be this many people here. And it's not supposed to be like this. And the door that was supposed to lead to a healing is now the door that is blocked. And so instead of receiving a healing, they come to a halt. Set it down, set them down. And this is the point where some of us would have given up and said, hey, maybe this door is shut for a reason. And maybe the, they say to the paralytic, I'm so sorry, like we tried. And the paralytic would say, you know what? You guys are the best four friends a man could have. And I know that you guys tried and I understand. But you see, this didn't stop them. These guys were persistent, and they were tough. These guys knew how to carry this man. They knew how to muscle him. But they also knew how to dig. They knew how to carry, but they also knew how to dig. You see, 
they recognized that Jesus wasn't the one who closed the door. It was just people in their way. And what we might have interpreted as a closed door, they just simply interpreted as a crowd getting in their way. Now, one of them came up with the crazy or creative, however you want to put it, creative idea of let's go on the roof and let's just dig a hole right over Jesus's head and then we can lower our friend down. And I don't know if this would have taken some sort of convincing, but they did. They not only carried, but then they started to dig. And Mark, he says it's so chill. He says, so when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof. Now, I don't think that was like a common practice back in the day. And the book of Matthew, it's funny, the book of Matthew doesn't even mention the roof. The book of Mark does. And I think, it's, I think that's kind of interesting because, um, you know, Peter came along, Mark, in, in writing this book, and this is believed to be uh, Peter's house. And so while Matthew, he remembers, like, the stuff that Jesus said, uh, Peter remembers his roof. And he remembers the fact that there's a hole in his roof. And so... They do. They get up on the roof and they started to dig. And the houses at this time, they were made out of clay and mud. And so it would have been difficult, but it would have been possible. Would have been difficult, but would have been possible for them to actually climb up on the roof and set aside their friend, set him aside, put him to the side and actually get on their knees like this and actually start to dig just like that. All four of them in a circle, on their knees, digging. And you see, I believe that this gives us a picture of prayer. I believe this gives us a picture of prayer. Setting aside the things that you've been carrying to get on your knees and pray. I know many of you work really hard and you carry a lot and I've seen it. But I wanna ask you if you know how to dig. God wants us to carry, but he also wants us to get on our knees and ask him to open a door that would never be open if we simply just wanted to keep on carrying or we simply wanted to muscle our way through. No matter how much you carry, no matter how hard you work, no matter how far, how heavy, or how long of a distance you've been carrying the things in your life, prayer has to be your tool. And prayer, it shouldn't be a last resort either, but persistent prayer should be what you turn to day and night and never lose heart. Jesus would say in Luke 18.1 that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Don't lose heart. You've been carrying a lot. Maybe you're saying, "I've I've been trying to raise my kids in the ways of the Lord, and I've been carrying conversation with them. I carry them to school. I carry them to church. I try and carry these godly spiritual conversations with them, but there's this crowd. There's this group of, of people at their school, and they're trying to show them something different. Maybe you're at the point where you've been carrying a lot of like hurt and that you carry bitterness, you carry anger, and that's just, you carry that every single day. And you've been trying to let that go, but you've been having to carry that. Maybe, for instance, you've been carrying the burden for your parents, and maybe your parents don't know the Lord, and you've been carrying meals to them, you've been carrying cards to them, You've been carrying their stuff around their house from the basement to upstairs, from this basement to another basement, and you care for them so much. You know, these men, they had to carry, but they also had to dig. And you have to keep carrying, but you also have to plan, plan to pray. And don't lose heart, and some of you needed that today. Don't lose heart. 
because you've been carrying a lot and you've been digging a lot. And you've been praying for something for a very long time. And what really got me about this story is these men are digging, all four of them. And Jesus, he's right below them. And I would think that, you know, Jesus, like he knew, like he knew that they were digging and that he would have just done something to make it a lot easier for them. Like he would have just opened up the ceiling right then and there. Just, hey, I see your intentions. I'm just going to do it for you. But he let them go through that process. And meanwhile, while they're digging, every single chunk of dirt is like falling on his head, you know, Um, like the dust is there. And eventually they would be able to get like a little bit of an opening and then you'd be able to see like one of their heads looking down and they'd be sweaty. Like the dirt would actually stick to their sweat and they'd be like having to catch their breath every once in a while and, um, you know, say over to the friend like, hey, we're almost through. We're getting there. And, and, and Jesus, he knew it all. He heard every single scrape. He knew every single chunk of dirt that fell. He heard it. He knew it, he loved them, he cared for them, he saw it, and he knows, he knows. And that's why I'm calling you, never give up in your prayers and don't lose heart. Because even though you've been carrying it for a long time, and even though you've been on your knees for a long time, he hears it and he loves you and he cares about you. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. You got up early You got your friend, and you made this bed, and you carried. And God wants me to speak to my kids. God wants me to serve. God wants me to forgive. God wants me to love. And if God has called you to carry out anything good for him, if God has put a ministry in front of you, expect some people to be in your way and expect an obstacle to be there. But go ahead and plan to pray. Plan to pray. And so they did. They kept on digging. They kept on digging. And what ends up happening is they made the opening. And go ahead and read with me verse 5, because it continues. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, these men brought the paralytic for a physical healing. But the first thing that happens when they lower uh, their paralyzed friend down to the feet where Jesus is at is Jesus actually looks at him and says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. He's still laying there paralyzed. He still can't walk. He still can't stand on his own. But Jesus, the first thing that he does is he forgives a man of his sins. Now, you got to imagine maybe a little bit of confusion, a little bit of confusion with the people on the roof. Like, that's not why we brought him. Can you please heal him physically now? We don't know. But in the midst of wanting to receive a miracle to walk, there was a greater miracle that needs to take place the greatest need anybody could ever receive. You see, we think that the most important miracle that needed to take place was him walking, but Jesus knew that the most important miracle that needed to take place was was here, not here, but right here. And I want you to know that if you come here and maybe you think the greatest miracle you need in your life is is maybe money or maybe a, a restoration of a relationship or a job or more time. And those are all things that the Lord can work and he wants to work in your life. But the greatest miracle that, that you need in your life is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And for many of us, that has already happened in our hearts. We've already accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And think back to that because that's the greatest, that was the greatest miracle that's ever taken place in your life. 
your, your heart literally going from deadness to life. And I want you to know, you know, if you're here and you've, you've never received that miracle, even though you can't stand on your own, I get it. Even though you can't walk on your own, okay. The first and foremost thing that God wants to do in your life is heal you of your sins and forgive you. And that comes by faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace of the Lord on you, and it's through faith that you cry out to him. And the same Jesus that healed this man of his sins is the same Jesus that's alive. He's living today, and he wants to forgive you of your sins, and it's a gift that he offers you today. Now, when Jesus forgave this man of his of his of his sins, maybe there was a little bit of confusion on the part of his friends, but there was also criticism in the room. You know, whenever God works huge miracles, there's, there's always a little bit of criticism in the room. And so now that the, it turns its attention to uh, the critics. And so let's go ahead and read about the critics. The critics in verse six through nine, it says, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately... When Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? And so after having a moment with a man, literally like this nice moment with this paralyzed man, right? He, he turns his attention to the scribes, those who were criticizing him. And they were deeply offended over the fact that Jesus could forgive this man of his sins. If you claim to forgive people of sins, then you are claiming to be God himself. They said, well, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now they thought it. But Jesus ends up responding. He says, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Meaning, like, why are you struggling with this? Then he said, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or arise, take up your bed, and walk. It was a challenge, which is easier to prove, because I get it. We could just walk around saying your sins are forgiven, and that's a miracle that takes place, and it's, it's invisible. Nothing was glowing about him or anything. It's just invisible. It takes place here, and you can't really prove that. It just, boom, it happened, but a physical healing, on the other hand, like, we know this man, and he was paralyzed. He is the paralytic, right? And Jesus says, okay, He says in verse 10, look at it with me. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all. So that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So the purpose now of the physical miracle was so that the people in the room, including the scribes, would know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And God, he works miracles for those who ask and those who seek and those who have faith. But don't be surprised when God works a miracle to show other people, including the critics, how he has the power to forgive and heal the heart. Everything comes back to the fact that Jesus has the power to forgive people of their sins, even the little miracles that take place in our life. Jesus physically healed this man to show even the haters, the critics in the room, that he has the power to heal them of their sin, 
This was a healing for the haters. And I used to think that Jesus, you know, he did this miracle against them. You know, like there was a little bit of criticism in the room and Jesus isn't going to put up with that. And so he's going to do this against them. But it wasn't like this. It was like this. Jesus didn't do this miracle against them. He did this for them. This was a miracle for them, for the paralytic man, for those friends. But he also did this miracle for the critics. You see, there were scribes and there were Pharisees who came to know Jesus. Nicodemus, Paul was one of them. And we shouldn't think for a second that Jesus Christ is only interested in saving those who come down from a roof, but he's also trying to reach the ones who have been in the room criticizing him the entire time. He loves them. He loved and he wanted to save the man on the mat, but he also wants to save even the haters who were in the house. And Jesus, he turns to the man in order to show everybody that he has the power to forgive sins. He says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Stand up, pick up, and go. And that's exactly what this man did. He stood up, he picked up, and he went. And the very thing that he was carried on is the very thing he carried out. And the very door that he wasn't able to go through in the first place is the door that he was able to walk through for the first time. I want to encourage you, if you're here and you don't know this Savior who is Jesus, he's looking, he's waiting, and he's wanting you to come to him today. And I would even argue that there have been people who have been digging, who have been praying for you in their lives. And they want to see you give your heart over to Jesus. I want you to know that his heart is for you. I want you to know that he loves you. But right now, you carry something that you won't be able to carry into eternity, and that is sin. The sin will always be on your shoulders, and you will carry that. We are blessed because this isn't the end of the story in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry. He would later carry a cross, and it would be very heavy. He would carry it, and he would let the critics, he would let those who were against him, he would let them actually nail him to the cross so that he could save the very people who wanted him crucified. He carried the cross. He carried it for a long ways. He carried it for a long time. He carried the cross to be crucified because he actually cares for you. And Jesus wants to carry your sin, but you need to ask him in faith for forgiveness, and he will. We carry a lot in our lives. We really do. We carry a lot. And I even think back to, there was, there was a time um, we went snowshoeing with the, the middle schoolers. And middle schoolers are, um, they're funny. They, they have so much energy, but there are some times where they just, they don't want to walk anymore. <laughs> they don't. And um, we always tell them, we say, if you need help carrying your stuff, let one of the helpers know. We always say that. And, and we help them out with their stuff. And there was one dad in particular, he was a helper. And um, we were coming back and the wind was picking up. And so that, you know, it was really cold and the snow was swirling around and stuff. And um, we, we were waiting and waiting and waiting because, you know, he was in the back, you know, with the kids, like, you know, waiting for the last one to come. And um, he turned the corner. I'm not kidding you. I had like eight 
pairs of snowshoes that he was carrying and eight poles and like four backpacks. And he's just, and, and the wind is blowing and the snow is swirling and he's just like, like just coming right through, just carrying. And this is literally where we're at in our lives. Like I understand that. Like you carry a lot. You carry the weight. I mean, you carry a lot of responsibility. You carry a lot of stuff with your family. You carry a really stressful job. You carry a lot in your life. And you know what? If you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, right now you carry the heaviest thing ever that you will never be able to carry, and that is the, the consequence of sin. That is sin. And Jesus, he carried the cross for you. He went to the cross and he died for you. And he died so he could take the burden of sin that you hold right now to put it on his back, he died and that sin stays there. It's done because he rose again three days later and he offers you the gift that if you place your faith in him, if you place your faith in him today, that he takes, he takes that. And I want you to know, you know, if, if you've had that miracle take place in your heart, like Jesus, he's died for you, you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. But every single day, you, you carry a lot in your life. You carry a lot of responsibility. You carry a heavy load. I want you to know that whatever you carry in your life, he will always be carrying you. He will always be carrying you. He carries you every single day. And he doesn't drop you. He cares for you. He loves you. He is for you. And I want you to keep on praying. If you've been discouraged because you just feel as if it's not being heard. You feel like your prayers aren't going through. He knows. He feels. He sees. He loves. He cares. Just don't lose heart. Take heart. Take heart in your prayers and keep on praying. I want to pray. Lord, pray for those who are here, Lord, and maybe they thought that the biggest miracle that they needed in their life was um, a physical healing. Maybe they thought that the thing that they needed most was uh, financial healing. Um, Lord, I just pray, Lord, if they don't have you as, as their Lord and Savior, I pray that, Lord, they would accept you in their heart, that they would do as what Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that they would place their faith in you, believe that you were a real person, believe that you actually went to the cross and carried it a long ways for a long time, and, Lord, that you died for them, you let them nail you to that cross, Lord, and then you rose again three days later. You are alive and you're living, Lord, and I pray that they would cry out to you right now even while they can't walk, even while they can't talk, even while they can't stand on their own, even while they can hardly seem to do anything right for you, Lord, I pray that right now as they lie flat on their back that you forgive them of their sin as they cry out to you in faith. Lord, I pray for the ones who have been wanting to see more victory in their life. They've been wanting to see more healing. They've been wanting to see a miracle. But Lord, that miracle is still, it's still in the making. They've been digging, they've been praying, they've been digging, Lord. And I just pray that, Lord, they don't lose heart in their prayers because you see it, you, you, you hear it, Lord, everything. We don't know your plan. But, Lord, I just pray that they keep on praying, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we would be a fourth of what that paralyzed man had, a good friend to, Lord, our, 
our brothers and sisters here at the church, Lord, that we're willing to drop things in the day. We're willing to even just change up our plans, Lord, just to bring people to your feet. And Lord, I pray that we'd be persistent in that. When people get in our way, when an obstacle gets in our way, Lord, that we keep on pushing through, Lord, with what you placed in our heart a long time ago. I pray for that for people, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much. And Lord, I just pray that you keep people safe. You bless them as they go. And in your name we pray, amen. Amen. I want to um, encourage you guys. We have... Uh,